Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve your body image, five annoying food and body comments, or today's topic of five reasons why you binge eat and how to stop. I have a huge place in my heart for anyone struggling with binge eating. I know the struggle through and through the highs and the lows. It feels like a freaking roller coaster that will never end, but you can get off of it. You do not have to be stuck in the cycles of disappointment and discomfort and shame. Now, the reasons why you binge eat are multifaceted, and I am so grateful to be sharing this show with you because it is full of valuable information on why you binge eat and doesn't stop there because it gives you actionable things you can do to stop. After listening to this show, I encourage you to read more about this topic at recoverywarriors.com. Every podcast episode has an in-depth article with other suggested reading. So if you like what you hear today, the article is easily accessible below in your show description box for this podcast. And if you're not subscribed, you can do that as well. Our featured wisdom sharing for this episode comes from a wonderful woman I have done collaborations with for years and years now. She is my go-to expert for binge eating. And not only does she have personal experience of recovering from binge eating disorder, she has been helping people recover for nearly two decades through her private practice, online program, Stop Binge Eating for Good, and her book, Reclaiming Yourself from Binge Eating. Allow me to introduce you to Leora Fulvio. Hi, my name is Leora Fulvio. I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco, specializing in treating eating disorders. And my specialty within that is treating binge eating disorder. So now that you met Leora, let's dive in to the first reason you binge eat and how to stop. Number one mental patterns. Now, these can be things like cognitive distortions, all or nothing thinking, perfectionism, really intense self-criticism. So, Leora, what are mental patterns that you see that are super common in people who struggle with binge eating? Everything you name there, (laughs) 100%. And um, the last thing that you said about this self-critical voice is probably the number one mental pattern that I see over and over again is somebody who sits there and criticizes themselves, tells themselves that they ate the wrong thing, they ate too much, they weren't supposed to eat a certain macronutrient today, whatever that that might be. And 
it triggers them to then go into the other thing that you talked about, which is the black and white thinking, right? The paradoxical thinking where it's all or nothing. So if I eat a little bit too much of one thing, then I have to eat all the things. My my favorite thing to say is that waking up and going to work and eating perhaps a muffin and then saying, well, I ruined my whole day and then spending the day binge eating is sort of like waking up, going to work, going to Starbucks, getting some coffee, spilling a little bit on your shirt when you go to take a sip and saying, oh, well, and then taking the cup, opening the lid and just pouring the whole thing on your shirt and saying, that's my day. I guess I just ruined it. So a lot of the ways that we get into these patterns of thinking, perfectionism, I have to do everything perfectly or I'm going to do everything the exact wrong way is what I see a lot of in binge eating disorder. And do you think there's almost like an addictive quality to the punishment then? Because clearly it's like, I'm going to then completely sabotage, like, right? Instead of like the coffee, I love that. <laughs> like thinking about that, I'm just going to pour this all over me now. <laughs> and so it's like this kind of a sabotage, right? Because like, okay, I have this little stain. Why don't I just get like totally stained now? I'm just just ate a little bit beyond what I told myself I could. And now let me just eat way beyond that. Right? Because the punishment and the reward are kind of the same thing in binge eating disorder. So you're sitting there and you're eating and at the same time as you're eating, you're just hating yourself. So you're eating more because you you, you start to almost dissociate, blackout. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is over. My day is over. I have to complete this. So you start to feel a little like sick to your stomach, uncomfortable. And I've seen people say, well, I can't stop until everything is gone in the way that you think of punishments, right? You will clean this room until it's spotless, right? You will eat everything in your house till it's gone because you messed up. And the reason for this, the the sort of underlying thought for a lot of people is, if I eat it all today, then it won't be here tomorrow. So then I won't be able to eat, right? So it's another punishment. It's piling punishments on top of punishments. I'm going to eat till I'm sick and then I don't get to eat tomorrow, but I'm going to ensure that I won't eat tomorrow by finishing all the food in my house, which really doesn't work because it's very easy to get food and you just feel sick. Yes. Not that it should work. (laughs) No, but it is. It's like the logic. There's definitely distortions, right, with the cognitive distortions. But I totally remember that mental pattern of being like, well, if I just can get it out of sight or if I can just get rid of it now, then I don't have to ever worry about it again. And like you're saying, it's really easy to get into that same scenario the next day. And like, there you are with the same issue again. I did find it interesting because I was like, knew that we we're going to be talking about binging. You and I both have a personal history of binging. That was one of the, the things we struggled with. I, I kind of lost sight of like, well, what is it really the definition of it? Now it's kind of defined in the DSM-5 is this loss of control. That is really one of the major things that distinguishes it from simply overeating and obviously having like an objectively large amount of food within a short span of time. So this feeling of like a loss of control. We think of binge eating a lot as you overeat and then you just go fully into a binge and you don't even notice that you're doing it. But a lot of people will wind up planning their binges and they'll plan them for 
hours or even days. And pretty much everybody does it in isolation. So what I've found, especially during COVID, is that it is a product of loneliness. And it's something that people are doing to find some comfort and peace almost when they are lonely. And that's another mental pattern is in seeing this as something that is going to be helpful and loving and um, nurturing, but then having it not be that, right? Like instead of saying, okay, I, I want to go out and get this nice meal and sit home by myself and eat it and have a Netflix and chill all by myself, right? Like that that is a fine thing to do, but it, it goes into that loss of control pattern when it's not, it's okay for me to eat a nice meal by myself. It's, I can only eat perfectly or do something where I'm, I have this planned loss of control and I will take this time. I will isolate it, put it in a, a void and spend the night really eating as everything I've wanted to for the past however long you've been restricting. And it goes from being something that is comforting and self-soothing to something that is self-punishing and creates a lot of self-hatred and depression and anxiety and physical ailments, discomfort, all of those things. It's like food becomes a proxy for love and comfort. I talk to my clients a lot about how an eating disorder just feels like an abusive relationship, right? It's something that you really love and you really hate at the same time. And you want to abandon it and leave it and not ever have to deal with it again. But then it just sneaks back up and pulls you back in. So there's, Mm. um, what if you could just know it's there, but not be in a deep, intense relationship with it. <laughs> like a codependent, like a codependent um, relationship with it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So what are ways then that you have found to help people work with the mental patterns? I know, you know, when I was in treatment, it was largely like CBT was recommended to work with the cognitive distortions, other kind of therapies, mindful-based therapy and other ones, or were those ones in particular to to really help people with that? The mental patterns. So that's that's where the mindfulness comes in. Okay, I, I'm noticing that I want to plan a binge. Am I feeling something else? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling anxious? Did somebody say something mean to me today? Did I look in the mirror and, and feel uncomfortable in my body? Did I tell myself that I couldn't have this food, so I want to binge on it? And sort of noticing what those triggers are. And and then it's so difficult to say, I'm not going to binge and then just not binge, right? So noticing, okay, I'm having a trigger right now. What do I need? What am I feeling? And what do I need? And it might be that you do need to eat something, but it also might be that you need to call somebody and say, I am feeling overwhelmed. Um, I see this pattern going on in my brain. I'm having the all or nothing thinking. I ate nutritious foods today, but things that 
my brain tells me that I shouldn't eat. So it's making me want to binge and I, I need to talk through it. And if you can't talk through it with somebody writing through it and getting into your journal and saying, here is where I could see that my thinking has to be my eating disorder coming up for me. How can I pull in not my eating disorder voice, but my kind, loving voice who reminds me to treat myself with respect and do what I need to do? And then the other thing is is being able to stop a binge. So we all know that so that a binge wants to complete itself, whatever that means, but saying to yourself, okay, I actually don't have to finish this. I've started and that's okay. I can take a step back and walk away from this. And being able to do that, shortening it changes your brain and changes those patterns, those mental patterns of, I don't have to finish what I've started. So to be able to take a step back and say, I'm not going to be perfect in completing this binge is pretty amazing and difficult, but very helpful. There's so much power in interrupting the patterns. So much power there. You might not be able to control the feelings and the thoughts, but you can control your reaction to them. So it is possible to change the patterns. And now let's look at how we can do that in other areas. Let's move on to our next reason why you binge eat and how to stop. Number two, nutritional imbalances. So this is when we look at how our physiology can change when we are in a state of deprivation or restriction or going through the diet yo-yo cycle. The first thing that we think about when we have somebody in recovery is the fact that their brain is not working at full capacity because they have a starved brain. And, And that's not, we think of people with a starved brain perhaps as somebody who has anorexia and lives in a certain type of body. But people who have binge eating disorder, which there is a big component of that, which is a restrictive disorder, really have a lot of brain fog, um, really do have malnutrition, really have been doing a lot of restricting and starving and don't have the capacity to really think things through because their brain is not fed. So the very first thing that we want to do is make sure that people are getting appropriate nutrition throughout the day. So, and that doesn't matter what size you are. There are people who live in larger bodies who have, who are diagnosed with binge eating disorder, but also have, who do have restricting disorders. And when they hear, okay, your brain is starved, they're like, what's wrong with you? Why would you even say that about me? That's, that's a cruel joke. And fortunately, there's a lot more awareness around that now that, that people who live in all types of bodies can be starving and can be starving themselves and can be very nutritionally malnourished. So we really want to not even worry about what size somebody is, but to make sure, first off, that they are getting appropriate nutrition and they're feeling a little bit more even, right? So 
when people have this binge eating behavior, they're used to feeling very full or very hungry, and there's not a lot of in between. So we want to help people to start to feel satisfied and comfortable around their food for a lot of the day. We don't want people to be super hungry because that's when binging is more likely. And paradoxically, we don't want them to feel super full because that is also when binging is more likely. Really a funny thing that people are more likely to binge when they're very hungry because they're they're kind of hangry. They're anxious and uncomfortable and they can't make good choices and also very full because they are uncomfortable and they don't like the feeling of being full because it doesn't give them the satisfaction of knowing that they had, um, and I'm, I'm saying this with air quotes, been good with their food and restricted it. So the first thing is to help people get comfortable with feeling satisfied and nourishing themselves. Mm, and eating more like regularly without yeah. the, see the extremes. And also not restricting foods, like food groups, right? Like that's that doesn't help. You restrict the food group, but then that will come in in the binge. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, I'm not having exactly. this food group. And then the binge is like, <laughs> okay, free pass. Uh, yeah. I even found too that I led to night eating in the middle of the night. Like I'd wake up, like I was so yes. physiologically like that I would wake up and eat while I was essentially sleeping. So I was kind of yeah. going into that loss of control. Like I wasn't fully aware or conscious, but I was so hungry because I was trying to restrict. It's pretty common. That's, that's really common. And, and I've heard people say a lot of like, what's wrong with me? You're supposed to be sleeping when you're sleeping. Well, if you're not getting enough nutrients during the day, your body's going to go and find it when that guard, that gatekeeper is not so strong. So nighttime or when your defenses are down. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And so with this deprivation, then that can lead to a binge backlash. Like, And, and it's to be aware that physiologically like restricting, restricting oneself can lead to that. I know for me, it would help to know that like, I can have this at another point. So I, I can have this later. This food is available for me again. And right. that like, I don't have to eat it all now. I don't have to have, like, I can have this whenever I want. Exactly. When I give that allowance. Exactly. And, and also remembering that your body is dynamic and needs different things on different days. So if you're finding that you're hungrier, hungrier during certain, well, certain times of the month, because hormones are real and they definitely absolutely affect how many calories you need uh, during different days. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you have an injury. Sometimes you're tired sometimes you've moved more or less and your body needs different calories on different days. And I think that we've gotten so into diet culture has sort of um, given this message that, that people need a certain amount of calories each day. Do not deviate from that. Don't do more. Don't do less. And it's, it's created a lot of black and white thinking for people. So really understanding that, 
it's okay that some days you're eating more and later on in recovery, it's okay that some days you're eating less. Um, but later on, because it, you have to sort of get used to nourishing your body and giving yourself food consistently every day. But, you know, when I look at my children, I, who, who don't have eating disorders, um, there are some days and weeks where they're just like, constantly eating they're, they they can't get enough food and then other days where they're just not hungry at all and you know they, they don't have ideas about their bodies or food or anything like that it's it's just very intuitive for them their hunger and satiety cues haven't been altered through through diets or thoughts about their body hopefully that doesn't happen. So, you know, even watching them and understanding how dynamic and different our bodies are and allowing for that and being okay with that and understanding that as a woman, you have very variable hormones from day to day as well. So um, stress hormones and and of course, whatever else is happening in your body, menstruation, menopause, pregnancy, moving your body a lot or a little, whatever it is, that's going to affect it. So that awareness too, that that your nutritional needs are variable and not being black and white about that as well. Yeah. Oh, totally. I love that word dynamic that you said. It's like, those are probably like within this idea of nutritional imbalances, those are like the two huge epiphanies that I had that I saw much later in my recovery. Like when I was in the thick of it, I didn't see it as much. But when I had some space, I was like, whoa, it is dynamic. It's not this static flat line of calories you're supposed to have every day. And it it is something that you need certain nutrients at different times and honoring that. But as you said, I absolutely had to have the nutritional guidance in the beginning where it was this like eating to the clock in some sense, that was, that was super helpful for me to start to have that balance come back. Then I started to adapt and adopt intuitive eating, but it didn't come like from binge eating straight to intuitive eating. There had to kind of be that, the intermediary phase there. And it's so important to just, yeah, be more in tune with the, the body's needs, not what the magazines are telling us we're supposed to have. Right. That's that's all. That's about going inside rather than looking outside for the messages about your own body. And so you find that with this nutritional imbalances, this is the like the most important piece really to start then working on mental patterns is to be able to have adequate nutrition so you can start to think more clearly. Uh, since binge eating can interrupt the decision making process or kind of lead to decision making fatigue. Yeah, decision-making fatigue, this helps a lot having adequate nutrition. Absolutely, yeah. And that might mean working with a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders early on in recovery if you can, if that's possible. Awesome. Moving on to our next reason why you binge eat and how to stop. Number three, physical triggers. Now, this one is 
kind of looking at environmental things that could happen. Uh, in I know you have a whole bunch. We were talking about this yeah. uh, prior to to getting on the recording here. But what are some physical triggers that you found happen in people's lives that can really lead them to binge eat? You know, the big one is pain. Pain mm. is a, one that I notice the most where people have really intense physical pain and they use food to soothe and comfort themselves. And that's pretty common and typical and okay, right? Because your body is feeling something really unpleasant. So you want to feel something a little bit more pleasant or something also to block that pain and and experience something different. So um, if you think about when you're icing something to change the way the pain feels, it's, it's almost like you're doing that with food. So pain is a huge physical trigger for a lot of people. And then actual physical triggers is something outside of yourself, like being in an environment that causes you to binge eat. One of the most common ones is is going home for the holidays, right? So mm. um, being in the place that where, where your eating disorder began for most people or being around parents or siblings or family members or old friends who bring you back to those times in your life before you had high levels of insight or, or capacity to feel okay with yourself and being reminded of that. So, so something that will trigger a, a physical trigger, like an environment that will trigger an emotional response. Another physical trigger, an environmental physical trigger is being in a place where you've binged a lot. So like your car, for instance, sometimes for people, it's like a movie theater or a certain restaurant. And then for other people, an external physical trigger can be a certain food that is a trigger food. And the belief is if I start to eat this, I can't stop, which isn't an actual truth, but it really feels like a truth. So it it would be a trigger food. Then there's a trigger person that's an external physical trigger. So somebody who, when you're around them, you feel bad about yourself or, or you feel angry or you feel angry at them. And that causes you to then go home and use food to self-soothe. One of the biggest triggers that I also see a lot in my practice is Instagram or TikTok, oh. like social media. And so people are either it's looking at people who they know and feeling um, inadequate in their own lives or influencers are something that tend to trigger people a lot. I hear a lot of, but everybody else can do this. Why can't I? Because I'm defective. Well, no, everybody else can't eat this way. And, And well, well, look, she can on Instagram, well, but you don't know that for sure. You can't compare your back end to anybody else's front end. It's like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So I always tell my clients to take anybody who they notice is triggering them off, just stop following them. 
just hide them for a while or forever. And it's hard to notice because you're so used to following those people and having these sensations, this anxiety when you when you see them and just going into this self-deprecating mode. So it, it that goes back to the mindfulness, right? Noticing, oh, when I look at this person, I feel this way about myself. That's a trigger. Sometimes reading a certain book or watching a certain movie can be a trigger as well. And people, cars, <laughs> social media, um, houses, <laughs> pain. What else? Mirrors would often trigger me too, where like I would be like getting dressed. Interesting would be hormonally too. Some sometimes of the month I could look in the mirror and be like, all right. And other times I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, and and then that would often lead me to want to isolate and binge and not not be seen. Yes, yes, and I usually tell my, some therapists say just hide your mirrors. What I like to do is um, change the position of the mirror. So you just feel comfortable with what you're seeing, whatever that means. And just feel really good about yourself when you leave the house. In that vein, I hear a lot of people saying that they felt so good about themselves and they saw a picture of themselves at that place where they didn't feel good about themselves. And that picture of them selves is a physical trigger. So what we have to remember is that a picture is two dimensions. It's not dynamic and nobody sees you in two dimensions. People see you moving around. They feel your energy. They see your personality and they're not seeing what you're seeing in this photo. They're seeing the essence of you, not the way your body looked. Um, and they're not seeing what you're seeing because nobody is as hypercritical on yourself than you are. So yeah, mirrors, pictures. I like that you mentioned pictures. And the interesting thing about pictures too, though, is like I've had this experience a lot where when I was more like in the eating disorder, I'd see a picture and I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like, and then I look now at that picture and I'm like, well, like it, it's like my mental pattern changed. So the way I viewed myself changed and yeah. so like, I think we look at ourselves in these pictures sometimes very harsh and critically in the beginning and the very first look, and then it looks, <gasps> and then with time and space, it's almost like creative stuff too. Like when you make a project, something like creative and you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And then like a week or two or a month later, you're like, that was actually kind of cool. Like yeah. it was all imperfect, but cool. <laughs> like it's cute. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Just being yeah. kinder and gentler to yourself, treating yourself like you like you would a best friend or somebody who you really cared about or a child. Mm. Self-compassion. Lots of self-compassion. Scales too can be a big physical trigger or like maybe if you clean up your environment, you don't have a scale, but then you go to a house that has one. Maybe like how you say, going back to the family of origin, if there's a scale or a doctor's office, that can often be another trigger just seeing that number. Yes, stay away from those scales. Definitely stay away from those scales. I agree with that. And and to that end, what you were saying, doctors, doctor's appointments and doctor's offices are huge triggers for people. A lot of my clients just have huge anxiety about going to the doctor because they're afraid they're going to be weighed and they don't want to see that number. And, you know, it's okay to decline getting weighed. They're going to just write decline on your chart. And if anybody gives you a hard time, 
and say that they don't actually need that number unless you're pregnant or undergoing anesthesia. So it's not needed for a routine checkup. <laughs> That's a good tip. I didn't know that. And yeah, so pretty much there's a lot of physical triggers. So you can see how it can Lots. be sometimes like walking in a minefield of like, ah, like all these different things to navigate. Would you say a lot of it is just first being conscious of them, like bringing awareness to the triggers, knowing what they are ahead of the time so you can at least say, hey, you know, I'm going into this? hundred percent. Yeah. Like I have this thing coming up. I'm going to be around this person. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the doctor. I have to wear this dress. I have to go shopping, shopping and dressing rooms are a huge trigger. So this is how I'm going to prepare this is, these are my tools. I'm going to have this list of people to talk to. I'm going to bring this friend with me. I'm going to do some deep breathing before or afterwards. I'm going to listen to a book or a song or a meditation that I really like. And I'm not going to, I'm going to come back to me. I'm just going to come back to me and not let the external pull me into its agenda. I'm going to come back to my own self for love and peace and kindness. Love it. So it's having this like proactivity plan ahead and then ultimately come to your own center when you feel that it's chaotic outside of you. Yes. Yes. Well, this ties in perfectly with our next reason why you binge eat and how to stop. Number four, emotional stressors. So what we just talked about here is all these physical triggers can definitely cause all these emotional stressors. And there's also just emotions that are wanting to be seen and, and expressed and witnessed that can often get bottled up inside for years in terms yeah. of grief, if we look at that, and shame. And then ones that um, can feel really scary and unwanted and easier to kind of stuff down. So how have you seen emotional stressors come into why people binge eat? Oh my gosh. There are so many. There are so many emotional stressors, right? But I, I think that the the thing that that everything always comes down to in the end is fear. Fear of anything. So if we're looking at the news, being rejected like not being accepted by family, not being validated, not getting a raise, losing their job, whatever it is, anxiety, fears. So really, um, and, and trauma, right? Like past trauma that we don't. And so it's fear of remembering things that you don't want to remember, fear of thinking about things. So what I really help people to do in therapy is to not be afraid of the feelings that are coming up. And what a lot of people are afraid of is what do I do with this feeling when it comes up? And the thing is, you do nothing with it. So eating is a way to fix it or make it go away. But if you don't try to make it go away and don't try to fix it, it sort of runs its course. It comes in, you feel it, you might want to write through it but you don't have an agenda of making it go away or fixing it. It's, it's accepting that this exists, this happened, this, this feels however it feels. 
and then it does pass and then it comes back and then it passes. So it's really about not being afraid of these feelings. And the more you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, the less you will feel as though you need to fix it or make it go away by using food or or anything else, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is that you're using to not feel your feelings. Yeah. I always say now like embrace the intensity instead of yeah. what you're saying, like, cause if you feel intensity, you're like, I'm just going to go channel that intensity into food and yeah. into like an extreme sensations in my body. And then being able to say no feeling is final, no feeling is fatal. <laughs> like it really won't kill me. And even if it feels like I'm drowning in it, but it won't take me under and to be able to to sit in that discomfort of the feeling knowing that it will eventually pass instead of going to the discomfort of the the food and, yeah in overeating and i want to normalize that it is hard it's really hard to be in the feelings and it does feel like those feelings are going to kill you and it does feel like you're going to drown in them and it does feel like they're never going to stop and and being afraid of them is so okay and and you know what's that book feel the fear and do it anyway right so mm. just knowing that you that or believing somehow that you are going to be okay, trusting yourself, trusting the process of allowing, because it's hard. Yeah, especially if you're like a deep feeler and if you do have a background where there's any repressed feelings in childhood or things where they didn't feel safe to feel Mm -hmm. or emote or or really express yourself, I think that can kind of get lodged in there. And so it's almost like when you take a, a beach ball and you try to push it underneath water and you're like sitting on top of the beach ball and then it just like flies out if you yeah. if you lose the sight. So it's like that emotion can just feel like it's like so powerful and has so much energy attached to it. But it's allowing that, you know, with time as you're not pushing them down as much, they they tend to lose, I think, a lot of that energy. At least that's how I've found over the years. I I think so too. All right, so embrace the feelings, know that they won't last forever, and no feeling is final. Now let's move on to our final reason why you binge eat and how to stop. Number five, your neurobiology. So this is looking at the actual brain chemistry that one has and how that can contribute to to binge eating. So sometimes people can question whether this is something that is part of who they are and and how to work with that. A lot of this is like what we talked about at the beginning. So the the impulse control issues, so that dopamine seeking behavior that happens a lot for people who have this ADHD etiology, just really wanting to get that big, intense feeling. I think a lot about 90s, these like extreme sports guys that I went to high school with, right? Who, um, or college with, who would be on these skateboards and doing all these things, <laughs> these crazy things. And that's what we think of as dopamine seeking behavior. But 
we think about these these ADHD type dopamine seeking behaviors in boys or men behaving in this way, but what about girls or women or people who don't identify as boys or teenage boys, right? Like what, how are they getting those needs met besides food, right? Or, or these, these intense feelings. So this is where I sometimes see behaviors such as cutting or impulsive sexual behavior or, and then of course there's the food thing. It's an impulse control thing, but it's also it's not just dopamine, it's distraction, procrastination, any way to sort of change attention, change feelings, change course. So there, there is a pretty strong correlation between ADHD and binge eating disorder, which is likely part of the reason that the stimulant medications do work for binge eating disorder. So we're we're part of it, impulse control behavior. Another thing that I think about in terms of the neurobiology is the sensory seeking behavior. So people who have this, this kind of sensory processing issue who need a lot of intense physical sensation really would prefer being super uncomfortably full or super uncomfortably hungry to not feeling any discomfort at all, just feeling having that middle of the road comfort or or satisfaction. I always notice this similar theme of discomfort with comfort in a lot of my clients that there needs to be an extreme in emotions, in physical sensations. So that that to me seems like a sensory seeking behavior in many people or a sensory avoiding behavior as in not eating the foods that they want to eat because it's so stressful and it does or it doesn't different reasons. One, because of the emotional stress of eating something that feels wrong or bad. And then the other is just the the texture or the taste or the way it feels in their mouth and then not getting appropriate nutrition and then binging on things that will give them enough. So there's a lot that isn't emotional at all that goes into eating disorders that that are just brain-based. I also see a lot of these OCD-type etiologies coming into my office. So that is with the... And that, that feeds into only eating certain types of food, exercising intensely, and of course, the over-exercise, the under-eating, the only eating certain foods. With that OCD etiology, it will come back to binging to get the nutrients that your body needs and to have the backlash in order to compensate for that decreased food intake and that increased calorie expenditure. So there's so many different things that your brain that somebody's brain could be doing that is contributing to binge eating that has nothing to do with 
willpower or dieting or anything like that. There's just a lot happening. It's it's really multifaceted. Yeah, it was just that was a word that I thought multifaceted, multi-layered. Like there's one layer that you have to work on and then another and then you know, how to work with this type of brain chemistry in a way that you're not sabotaging yourself and in, in getting into these destructive behaviors. And in order to do that, you have to understand what's going on first. <laughs> so really talking to somebody who can help you to understand what might be happening, what your brain might be experiencing or needing that you're reacting to and how to find what your brain needs or help your brain to calm down a little bit with the help of therapy or, or occupational therapy, psychotherapy or occupational therapy, or even speech therapy for, for certain types of food sensory issues. Hmm. And would you say also working with the senses could be another way? Cause I can totally relate to this under like this, uh, extreme like this discomfort with comfort like I need to really feel like like I need to surf a 15 foot wave <laughs> like like really feel it because it's almost like that um like you get high in some way like off of, like I get high off adrenaline in, in weight like with surfing I used to do like extreme big wave surfing and then even like shopping can be like a high you know where you like go shopping and you get something I mean it's like it's it's not just the food so I think you're right that it is the brain chemistry, like how, like that dopamine, like just being like addicted to the dopamine. I'm thinking about water and how effective that is at helping people when they are really needing something. Sometimes this cold, hot shower thing, like doing a cold shower, then doing a hot shower, then doing a cold shower, then doing a hot shower, jumping in a cold tub and then jumping in a hot shower or, or something like that can really calm down your senses when you are needing that input. Holding ice, which is something that we do a lot with our self-harming clients. Sometimes I like to have all of my senses engaged. So I'll get in a hot bath and I'll listen to music, you know, and I'll have uh, like aromatherapy. So I, I'm smelling, I'm hearing, I'm, it'll, it'll be dark, you know, just everything is engaged, moving your body, but with eating disorders, of course, you always have to be careful with that, making sure that you're not compensating with exercise. But if you're not somebody who's experiencing that, even like picking up heavy weights, weighted blankets, weighted blankets are awesome for people um, with eating disorders, just cuddling up with a weighted blanket, listening to some music, putting on loud kind of aggressive music and dancing, just ways of getting some sensory stimulation that is not unhealthy. That's awesome. Those are all great. I would say one thing too, that's really helped with me and with impulsivity and like uh, is meditation. Oh. It's pretty, it's pretty recommended, <laughs> but just the, like to be able, I meditate 15 minutes every morning and just a basic silent meditation, just focusing on my in-breath, out-breath and feeling my stomach expand. And so that has been really helpful in just calming me down and allowing myself to get into my breath and be more embodied throughout the whole day. 
Uh, and then that's just allowed me to slow down, you could say. Meditation is so helpful. I also find that a lot of people get overwhelmed when I mention meditation. They're like, oh, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. So what I've started suggesting as an alternate is uh, coloring, just like the color mm. coloring books or puzzles, because it it does something similar, whereas you have you're focused on something and your brain is not sitting there and focused on all the things that you're worried about or anxious about or trying to suppress. So it 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 does something similar. This sort of heavy focus on like a jigsaw puzzle or coloring or something that is you need focus, but it's also calming and doesn't require a lot of thought. Yeah, super meditative. I love doodling my emotions. I've been into that lately and like with watercolors, but you just like doodle like this little like you and like what you're thinking and like it's just so fun and creative and it just is a great outlet. So. I think those things can be great doing anything creative. And I will say to anybody who's like, I don't have the time or I can't do it. 1% of our day is only 14 minutes and 24 seconds. So like under 15 minutes is 1% of our day. So if you just really want to see like, you know, I really want to recover from this eating disorder. Like I really do. Like I, 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 I no longer want to be living with this. So think about just 15 minutes as like improving 1%. And how can you just find these little ways to 1% that are moving you forward into growth, forward into your recovery? Because you can think about the eating disorder binge. If you binge for a whole hour, that was just 4% of your time that kind of went towards that for your day. So how can you see like, what are things that I can do that are going to be moving me forward in in the direction that I ultimately want to go? So just finding these little pockets of 15 minutes can really help improve you in this incremental way. And that compounds over time. And get it where you can. So if you're not somebody who can wake up and and meditate for 15 minutes while you're at work or everybody works from home now, but just like go into the bathroom and take five minutes and just do five minutes of breathing. And this could be your break. This could be your work break. Eventually, you're going to start to crave it, but make it easy on yourself. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And ultimately, I think it has to be something that you want to do, not should do. That's the biggest thing. And for some reason, I don't know with my meditation, my dog died and I just have meditated every single day since May 11th. And so that was just like something happened. And like, I just have wanted to meditate. Like it's like literally nothing will stop me from meditating. And so that's just a deep want. So it's like, find what you want to do. That one little thing that can be like, that can fill your cup. It doesn't have to be meditation and don't beat yourself up if you don't do it. It's just that wanting to do it versus should do it. Absolutely. And the, the key factor here is finding something that turns your thoughts off for at least a few minutes because we're really trying to understand how much turning your thoughts off can change your mood and change your emotional state. And that's one of the great things about meditation is that when you learn how to 
focus on something that is not whatever you're thinking about or worried about or anxious about, you change your whole life because your life is only your perspective. Awesome. Lior, this has been so great talking with you. So to review, we have the why you binge and how to stop. It's mental patterns. It is nutritional imbalances. It is physical triggers, emotional stressors, and your neurobiology. And just thank you so much for all the ways that you gave us tips, all the tips that you gave us in order to stop binge eating. And I know you have so many more resources. So where can all the warriors find you and be in touch with you? BingeEatingTherapy.com. That's a good place to find me. And if they want to reach out to me, Leora at BingeEatingTherapy.com. Well, I absolutely love connecting with you. You always have so much to share and you're just... I love our conversations. Yes, you're amazing. And you're just just supreme service and for helping people with binge eating. So thank you so much for all you do. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this warrior. Warrior.